All right, good morning, New Denver. Um, my name is Blake, and I'm on staff here at New Denver Church. I work with the youth. Super love it. Best job ever. Um, they are so much fun, and I literally could not enjoy it more. Um, the other side of my life is that I work at REI, and um, that's pretty awesome because at REI, there are these things called pro deals, and they make outdoor gear the price that I think it actually should be. Um, it's insanely expensive, but pro deals make it doable for somebody like me, um, who's in seminary and is poor. Um, so, um, the other day, um, I went hard and bought a ton of climbing stuff and I was beyond excited to get outside and armed with all the knowledge of a single YouTube video and one, um, REI like article that I read, I went outside and I went with my buddy and we climbed for the first time ever. And it was fun. Um, it could have been worse. Um, we still had fun, but um, we were climbing, 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 and at the top of the first thing, um, I got to the very top, and I was like, yes, I have prepared for this. I practiced on my stairs at home. I know how to clip into this. Um, but then all these things went wrong, and it turns out that um, I didn't have the right gear that I needed to get down properly, and um, I, whenever I tried to like lean back into my harness and get pulled down or get lowered down by the rope, it, the rope was like grinding against the rock. And that's really, really not good for this really expensive rope that I just bought. So I was like, you know what? I'm an athlete. I'm just gonna climb down and unclip as I go. So we had to bail and I had to do what you're really, really not supposed to do. And I scrambled down. And so that was a learning experience. And then we moved on. So then my buddy was climbing up, and where we were climbing was in the middle of this ridge. Um, so we had to like scramble through all of these boulders and almost like spelunk to get where we were going. So um, we were climbing down and down, and you had to do all these like lowering things, and it was really slick. And I was wearing these chacos that I've had since my junior year of high school. And so the bottoms are smooth as a baby's bottom. Like there is zero traction left on them. So I'm scrambling down on these boulders and we're like, wow, this is kind of dangerous. And we had to like squeeze through all these tiny holes with our backpacks above our heads. And eventually we got to where we need to go. But the thing is, because we were in this dip, we couldn't see the sky around us at all. And so and I knew, I looked at the weather and I was like, yeah, there's supposed to be a storm at one, but we'll leave around 12 and it'll be fine. We're going to be really safe. Well, my buddy gets on the wall at like 12.15 and um, he starts climbing and the route is way harder than we think it is. And he runs into the same problem. We can't lower him down. So he has to climb down. That takes longer. And <laughs> as we were cleaning up, all of a sudden it gets super dark. And we're like, oh snap, it's only one o'clock and it feels like it's midnight. And so it gets super dark. It gets really cold all of a sudden. And we're like frantically packing in our stuff and we're, cause rope is really not supposed to get wet. And so we were packing our stuff away. We threw it in the backpacks. And then as soon as we got our stuff in, it starts heavy, thick raining, like big old fat rain, like in Forrest Gump, like insane crazy rain and it was dangerous just to get down into the gulch that we were at and now we have to like climb spelunk in my baby's bottom chacos that i came in and then as we were climbing out it starts to hail and so um, we finally get out of this thing it's super slick like i'm just sliding all over the place having to be so careful soaked to the bone it's getting really really freaky cold and then all of a sudden we get up onto the top of this ridge um we're on this canyon and there's like 
zero trees, only shrubs, and then there's like lightning all around us. And so we are running with these like 30, 40 pound packs back to our cars, just sprinting, trying not to get struck by lightning. And as that is happening, I have this very distinct realization. I was like, wow, this Sunday I'm supposed to preach on wisdom. And that is insane. (laughs) So I'm only 26. I'm a 26-year-old man. I do not feel like I am qualified to preach on wisdom at all. But we're in the middle of this uh, Proverbs series. We're in the middle of this series where we're supposed to impart wisdom on you. And I could not feel less qualified for that job. Um, So I chose a proverb that is really good for people like me who necessarily aren't super wise and who screw up all the time. Um, the proverb that we're going to be talking about today is Proverbs 28, 13, um, which is pretty upfront. It's a really quick proverb. Um, it's attributed to Solomon and it says this, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces their sin finds mercy. Pretty straightforward. Um, this is a really, really good proverb, um, because it talks about confession and confession is something that happens when you mess up a lot. And if you are like me and lack wisdom, that is something you do very, very often. Um, so today we're going to be talking about confession and what it means to confess and how confession should influence our lives. So because we're talking about confession, everyone turn to your neighbor and tell them your deepest, darkest sin. Just kidding. Um, so We're going to be spending most of our time in Psalm 51. So if you have a Bible with you or if you want to go in your phone to Psalm 51, um, that is where we're going to be kind of camped out. What's really cool about this, um, this proverb and this psalm is that the proverb was written by Solomon, and I absolutely think he is getting this from his dad. Um, Psalm 51 was written by David, who is Solomon's father, and it's, uh, it's kind of a funny... Um, like relationship with this psalm because Psalm 51 was written um, during a really, really dark time in David's life. Um, So David was this super awesome king. Like he is the King Arthur of the Old Testament. Like people insanely looked up to him. People won't shut up about him in the New Testament. He's a really, really, really big deal. And he was like one of the most godly people. He's actually even called a man after God's own heart. But before he wrote Psalm 51, David screwed up big time. Um, We don't have a lot of time to go deeply into the story, but I'm just going to give you a laundry list of what happened before David wrote Psalm 51. So the first thing was that um, he saw a woman bathing on her roof. Her name was Bathsheba. And the first thing he did um, was he used his kingly authority to force Bathsheba to have sex with him. This is rape. Um, David used his power and his authority to say to Bathsheba, you are going to do this, and she had no choice. You do not say no to the king. So that's number one. Number two, David panics and immediately tries to cover his butt. Um, So then he sends um, Bathsheba's husband, because Bathsheba gets pregnant, because that's what happens because of biology. Um, So in order to cover his own butt, um, David uh, brings her husband back and is like, hey, You have been working so hard. Why don't you go home to your wife, get a couple glasses of wine, put on some jazz music, you know, just kind of see what happens. And 
her husband, bless his heart, is like, how could I? Our men are out to war. They're fighting so hard. How could I possibly do that? And David's like, dude, you're so awesome. It's killing me. And so he tries to trick them into doing what adults do to make babies. And so, uh, but that doesn't work. And so then in a final panic, last-ditch effort, he sends um, Bathsheba's husband, his name is Uriah, he sends Uriah um, out back to the battlefield with a note, a sealed note to the general there that says, all right, you're going to put Uriah on the front lines of the battlefield, and then when everyone's going super hard, you're going to tell everyone to take a big old step back except for Uriah. So he'll get surrounded, and then he'll die in battle. It's a warrior's death. It's a good death. Um, Any good man of Israel would want that to die for his nation. But the thing is, it wasn't a clean death. David effectively killed Uriah, and his plan goes off without a hitch. Um, So Uriah dies, and um, David is like, oh, no, Uriah, Um, but I am the closest to Uriah. I'm Uriah's best friend. He doesn't seem to have any brothers, so I'm going to take Bathsheba and marry her so that she's not left um, just by herself with no one to provide for her. So David takes Bathsheba, and now it's not sketchy at all that um, she is pregnant because they're married, and it goes off without a hitch. Um, But then there's a guy named Nathan, and Nathan is a prophet, and he knows what happened. And so he confronts David about it, and um, he completely calls him out on everything that he's done wrong. And David is smacked in the face with the realization um, that he has messed up, and now people are going to know about it. Um, And the son that was conceived um, with David's first mess up was going to die. And so he is not only faced with the death of his child, but he is faced with the fact that now all of Israel knows how much he screwed up. And so in the middle of all that, in the middle of all this raging turmoil, in the middle of all this, I have really, really screwed up and people know about it. He writes this psalm. And this psalm is a wonderful, wonderful example of how we are supposed to confess and um, the way that God reacts within our own confession. Um, So first, um, we're going to break this up into three chunks because I see three movements in this psalm um, that tell us um, how to act and react when we mess up. So um, first, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 51 verses 1 through 6 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So the first thing that David does when he screws up, the first thing that David does in this confession process is he admits that he messed up. He admits that he did something wrong. And this um, coincides really, really well with our proverb. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. The very first thing that David does is he's like, and Solomon is like, I messed up. I know I messed up. This is big. My sin uh, against you and you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? And he says, and I know what I have done. Have you ever felt that? When you've you've come to God after doing that one sin that kicks your butt over and over again, you're like, God, I know I screwed up. I know you know that I know that I messed up. 
and it just, you, you don't even have to have anyone tell you. That's where David is at. Um, this process is really sucky, honestly, admitting that you messed up, because we love to put this facade up of ourselves of like, you know, I'm perfect. Um, a lot of us can be like, oh, I've grown up in the church. I haven't done any of those big sins. Or like a lot of us have been like, yeah, well, I've done some messed up stuff, but not as bad as someone over there. Or if you're like me, um, I'm an arguer and a justifier. So I'll be like, well, that really wasn't that bad because of this. Or like, well, that person had it coming. What I said is okay because they were doing something way worse. Um, We argue and we justify and we try to do all of these things um, to make our sin not sin. But this first um, process of admitting that we've messed up um, is something that kind of sucks because we have to admit to ourselves that we are not perfect. Um, In Romans, it says that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's something that we know. That's something that we hear and we're like, yeah, everybody's sinned. But it's still really easy to like separate ourselves from that. It's really easy to be like, yes, everyone's sinned, whatever, blah. But we don't realize that we are a part of the problem. There are people in this room who struggle with gossip, who just cannot stop about talking crap on other people behind their backs, who cannot stop um, just getting the latest news about who messed up their relationship with who, or who did this to that, or whatever. There are people in this room who struggle with that. There are people in this room who um, have problems reigning in their anger and who act out in anger and say things that they don't mean towards friends or family. Who, who can't seem to get a hold on themselves, and whenever something happens, they fly off the handle and hurt other people. There are people in this room who are struggling with constant greed. I cannot make enough. I cannot achieve enough. I cannot have enough stuff. If I can just have more stuff, then I will be happy. There's this idea that permeates our culture that the more you have, the happier you will be. But it seems like the more you have, the less far away that happiness gets. And so we, we struggle with this constant greed. There are people in this room who struggle with pornography. Statistically, that is a fact. And I'm not just talking about the men. Um, there are people in this room who struggle with pornography and with sexual sin. We are a part of the problem. Every single one of us is a part of the problem. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the first part of this process is admitting that we've messed up, admitting that that sin that kicks our butt, telling that to somebody. The Bible word for this is confession. And confession simply means to tell God or somebody else that you have messed up, to tell them Um, that you are a part of this sin problem that is all the way across the entire world. Um, To confess um, can be done um, with just God or with people. Um, Confessing to somebody else is a very, very, very powerful experience. In James, when um, he talks about confessing to somebody else, he says that um, when you confess to somebody and they pray over you, that the prayer of that righteous person is powerful and effective. And I have found that to be really, really true in my life. I've confessed to God the same sin 800,000 times. But then when I tell somebody about it, game changer. Um, That's because um, the church is meant and built up to, or the church is built 
uh, what do I want to say? The church is there to build other people up. <laughs> um, the church is, is a thing so that we can encourage other people who are also trying to walk with God. And when we admit to somebody, when we humble ourselves and tell someone else that we're not perfect, and we let them into our lives, and they are able to help us out with that, they're able to be boots on the ground, help with that, the Holy Spirit is very, very, very powerful in that circumstance. So, first step we do is confess, um, admit to God that we've messed up, and a lot of times, well, most of the time, the natural progression into that is to then ask God for forgiveness, and that's our next step, and we see David do that in um, the next little chunk, which is um, 10 through 15. He says, "'Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Um, The next thing that David does immediately is he asks for forgiveness. And this coincides really well with the back half of our proverb for today, where he says, the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. When we confess our sins and we ask God for forgiveness, God gives us mercy. In James, he says, this is one of my favorite verses. He says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we admit that we've messed up and when we ask God for forgiveness, God gives mercy every single time. That means um, that when we choose to admit that we've messed up and we choose to humble ourselves before God or before somebody else, God forgives every single time. There is no sin in your life that God can't redeem. There is no sin in your life that God cannot redeem. That means that sin that no one else knows about, that sin that you have dug a hole and you have hidden that deep, 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 and you have made a promise to yourself that no one will ever, ever, ever know about that. If you confess and you ask God for forgiveness, God will forgive that. That means that one sin um, that you committed that you cannot believe that you did that keeps you up at night, that robs you of your sleep, that when you see that person you, could, you uh, sinned against, you just cringe or you feel awkward around, that sin that haunts you, that may even be public. If you have confessed that sin and asked God for forgiveness, you are forgiven. That means that sin that you have carried for so long that, that relationship that you ruin, that action that haunts you, um, that just takes away your happiness that you remember in the car when you're trying to fall asleep and you just cringe because it's so bad. That thing that you did, God has forgiven you. If you have confessed and you have repented of that sin, God has forgiven you. It's crazy because often we are much slower to forgive than God is. I think it's crazy because a lot of us will go throughout our lives and we'll live our lives bearing the weight and the guilt of this sin, and it just hurts. It can take away joy in our life. It can take away our relationships with other people because of the shame that we feel. And it's crazy that we are so much slower to forgive than God is. I think a lot of times we try to take up the mantle that God alone can hold of judge and of ruler. 
We say, well, I'm not going to forgive myself of that because I don't deserve it. Or I'm not going to forgive myself of that because I haven't made it right enough yet. Or I'm not going to forgive myself of that because there are still things that I need to do. And we try to work our way up or we try to hide it or whatever. And we, we hold the baggage and the weight and the burden of this sin when if we've confessed God has forgiven us and we needlessly hold that. We needlessly pile the shame on ourselves when God is the one who's saying, dude, you're okay. It's crazy because we have this idea, like um, we have this sin in our life that can trap us and the, the door, it's like a prison. The door can be wide open, but we're not choosing to walk through it. Um, we choose to keep ourselves locked inside of that cell because we feel like I am not good enough to leave this place. I am not good enough to leave this shame. I am not good enough to walk out of here. When truly God has opened the door and he is ready for you to walk out and he is ready for you to live in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and in a new found life that is found only in Jesus. So um, please do not hear me say that sin is all right. If you've sinned, you know, God has forgiven you and it's whatever, water under the bridge. Sin is a very, very serious problem. Um, the end result of sin is death 100% of the time, every single time. Um, the sin, when it is fully born, gives birth to death and we do not want that. Sin is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, but it is not as powerful as God is. God has beaten sin. And so if we choose um, to rely on the strength of God and if we choose to lean on God's power in, in our own lives and uh, in regards to the sin in our lives, then he will forgive us every single time. But that does not mean um, that we can just eat, drink, and be merry and sin however we want. Sin is dangerous and we can no longer live a life of sin. Um, and we see that in the next movement of um, the psalm. So this is from verse 13 to the end. Now there's a really distinct switch that happens here in this psalm. And it's really interesting um, because the proverb that we're talking about today does not have this step, but David includes this step. And there's a really distinct switch. So I'm actually, I'm going to start in verse 10 and kind of get a running start into this section. So he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, O you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in the sacrifices of offerings and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So there's a really distinct switch that happens. There's a really distinct um, change that happens because he goes from um, admitting that he's done wrong to asking for forgiveness. And then there's a big old then. And he says, when both of these things happen, then I will teach transgressors your ways. He immediately moves um, from confession to asking to forgiveness to action. Um, so the third step in um, repentance is adoring God for his love and patience with you. 
And it's really interesting because um, this process moving from these three steps should be a very, very natural reaction. Moving from forgiveness to adoration is something that should be as natural as like um, standing up and applauding at the end of an excellent, excellent performance. Or like sitting in awe, like when when you're hiking and you just see the mountains and all the trees and the shadows of the clouds on the hills, when you see that just sitting and being in awe of creation. It should just be a natural reaction like those things. Because when we truly experience um, the forgiveness of God, it's something that is life changing. When we truly experience um, the forgiveness of God, it's something that um, should then well up joy in us. Um, This is something that is a solemn act for the first two movements, but then when we experience God's forgiveness, it becomes a celebration. And isn't that just like God, to take something really, really sad and broken, but then turn it into a celebration? Um, This is something that is intensely powerful and should be something that is life-changing. The end step of confession is to worship. When we confess and repent, we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus, and um, worship in that process is just a natural reaction. So this is kind of where you put your money where your mouth is. Like, yeah, you've confessed that you don't want to do that. You've asked for forgiveness. So now what the heck are you going to do about it? How is this going to change your life? And so there's a couple different reactions on that depending where you're at. So if you are brand spanking new to all this, if this is your first time hearing about um, the brokenness of sin or about Jesus beating death for us, um, the first thing that you can do is honestly, you know, talk to Jesus and ask for forgiveness for your sins. And if I could add a step in there, I would definitely come talk to one of us about it. Um, Anyone who you've seen up here on stage, um, if this is your first time going through this process, this is something that we would love to walk through you with. Literally, that's why we are here. (laughs) Um, So if this is your first time having something like this happen, or if this is your first time where you've chosen to take that step and to confess and ask for forgiveness, then come talk to one of us because it's a whole life change. It is a change of worldview and a change of perspective that should alter, that should have consequences that reach through the rest of your life. And we would love to help you work through that process. And we would love to help you understand exactly what that means. So if you're brand spanking new to this, um, please come talk to one of us, and we would love to take further steps with you um, to help you through that process. But maybe some of you are in here are seasoned pros. Um, Maybe some of you in here have grown up in the church or have been a Christian for years and years and years, and the uh, step for you to adore God for his love and patience with you, the step for you is to offer yourself as a sacrifice. All right, you ready? The seminary Bible nerd in me loves this. All right, get ready. So um, in verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that you, O God, will not despise. Um, This was written like, I don't even know, like 1200 BC. Um, Long, 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 long time ago is when these words were written. Okay, 1,200 years later, more like 1,300 years later, a dude named Paul, who's a really big deal for the Christian church, he wrote in Romans 12 too, um, 
or Romans 12:1 actually, that the um, true way to worship God is by sacrificing yourself. He uses this oxymoronic phrase um, that he says that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, which is an oxymoron because if you sacrifice something, it dies. But we're supposed to be living sacrifices. And so um, like 1,300 years later, Paul is channeling the same Holy Spirit saying that, yeah, David was right. The true sacrifice that God wants, the true sacrifice that God wants from us people is to sacrifice ourselves, to be living sacrifices and to live our lives in such a way where we are not number one anymore, where God is number one and people are number one and a half and um, we are loving people with our entire lives and sacrificing our own wants and our own needs for the sake of other people. This is so cool because they're 1,300 years apart, but on the same wavelength because the Holy Spirit is awesome. So um, the next step for people who have been in the church and who have um, been walking with Christ for a long time is to sacrifice yourself for the sake of God and for other people. So um, this looks like actually finding ways to help the people around you. Um, I really like this idea. I think sometimes we live our lives in the defense, that we're just defensively like, okay, I am trying not to sin, and we're on the defense, and all we're trying to do is not let the other team score, and we're just like, I'm just trying not to sin, and that's all that I'm going to do. But we are not called to that life. We are called to live our lives in an offensively loving way. We are called to go out of our way and uh, seek out ways to score for our team. And the way we score for our team is by loving other people. So we're called to be on the offense and we are called to actively seek for ways to love other people. So that means um, when you see the homeless in downtown Denver, actually do something about it. Find ways to keep um, homeless relief bags in your car. Donate to something. Um, Volunteer in a soup kitchen. Do something about the brokenness that is around us. Um, This is actually taking time to hang out with that one weird person at work that no one seems to like. Um, The kids at youth group hear this all the time, but the ministry to the weird kid is a very, very important thing to me because we have all been that weird kid. We have all been that kid that nobody wants to be around. We have all been that person who feels lonely and isolated. So if you can go out and be that one person, that one friend to that person, what an amazing life change that could be for them. If you went out and sought out that person who has no one else and you chose to be that person for them, imagine how that could change their life. Um, This means... Um, actually sacrificing your downtime to hang out with friends who you don't get to see very much or family that you don't get to truly invest in. Having true, actual time together where you're not watching Netflix, you're not uh, surrounded by distractions, but you are actually having a conversation with somebody else and saying, truly, how are you and how can I help? Um, These things are ways that we can sacrifice ourselves and we can sacrifice our own needs for the sake of other people. And imagine how different everything would be if every single one of us in this room chose to live our whole lives as sacrifice. Imagine how different um, even just our communities, but also Denver, if we as a collective capital C church chose to take this seriously and chose to take the life change that Jesus gives us seriously and go out and live sacrifice lives and put other people before ourselves, imagine how different the church would look to outsiders and how different it would be to us. 
Imagine what it would be like if we were truly inclusive and loved other people deeply and powerfully. Imagine what it would be like if we were active in our communities and actively loving and giving and serving so that um, we have such a community that is so loving and powerful that people on the outside look at it and say, something supernatural is happening there. God is in that church. Imagine how different the world could be. So, the three actions um, when you mess up are to admit that you've done wrong, ask God for, for forgiveness, and adore God for his love and patience with you. Um, so we're actually going to move into a time of confession together. Um, we do this pretty often, I think like once a month here at New Denver, but I switched it up because I can do what I want because I'm preaching. Um, so we are going to practice confession together, and the confession is going to be up on the screen And um, as we confess together, I don't want you to just make this a rote prayer. Um, I know it's written up there, and sometimes it can be kind of hard to engage with, but um, we all have sin in our lives. So bring this to God. Bring your sin to God and accept the mercy and forgiveness that he brings us. All right, let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, indeed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. This saying is sure and full of acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you are forgiven.